in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome everyone. So some of you may not know, but this is our quarterly gathering besides being our regular Sunday morning program. So it'll be a little bit different than some of the other Sundays you've been here. First, I just want to mention, as most of you know, we have this practice at the center we call Donna. It's the Pali word for generosity. And on the one hand, it's a practical, functional way for the center to support itself and raise the money for the building, take care of the building, pay the office staff, support the teachers. But in a much more important way, it really protects all of us as a spiritual community. And it's something we can integrate everywhere in our lives. So it's not just about your relationship to Common Ground. So I just want to say a few seconds about that. Uh, speaker, a few seconds about that. So uh, in terms of Common Ground, when you come to any of the programs, we don't have any fee, of course, or any suggested donations. And the idea is, you know, all the leaders and volunteers and teachers, we try to make everything that's here a free gift to whoever shows up to receive it. And so your job as somebody coming is to receive freely the gift that's being given. And that's a hard practice because we feel more comfortable when it's a business arrangement. Okay, I pay this, you give me that. We're all equal, right? We're all okay, right? <laughs> but to really receive a gift from another person or from an organization, it's, a, it's harder for us. And we need to practice letting it touch our heart like it's a beautiful thing to receive a free gift in this way. So we just ask people to practice that. Whenever you think about Common Ground, whenever you come here, just to really see it, feel it as a free gift because of all the people who have done whatever they did before to make it possible. And then if you ever decide to, to volunteer your time or to contribute money, then that's also a free gift because you've already received the gift maybe, of being in a program. So you don't need to give anything because of that. That was a free gift. So if you give, it's because you want to give. And that's the other half of the practice is try to wait. Don't give until you feel like it can be a free gift. So if you notice, oh, I took that workshop, I should give money. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't give money at that time. But at least try, make an attempt to remind yourself, well, no, that was freely given, that workshop. So if I'm going to leave some money for that teacher in the center, it's because I want to. It makes me happy to support them. It, it really is good for our life. It's not that we have to or should, but it feels good to give. And this is sort of radical. <laughs> and it's okay if you, like I know I have over the years and other people, you just don't want to deal with it. So you just put yourself on, you know, okay, when I come, I do this. You know, I give this amount just so you don't have to think about it. But if you're around for a while, then see if you can transition into a more reflective stance. Now, it is okay to put yourself on a regimen, you know, to send a center through your bank, you know, something every quarter or every month, or, you know, whenever you take Nancy's yoga class, you give this amount. This is, how, this is what you pay for other yoga classes. This is what I'll give when I'm at Common Ground. I won't take advantage. But in that sort of formal, you know, system you've worked out for yourself, See if you can really set it free. So you're feeling a lot of joy when you receive, and you're feeling a lot of joy when you give. 
And then that really protects us as an organization too. It doesn't. We don't have these sort of sticky fundraising things and you know all the other things nonprofits have to do to survive. We try to avoid that. But once a month, I do re give this reminder. And if any of you who've been around for a couple of years feel like you understand the center and this practice of Donna, would like to do this monthly talk, let me know. Um, so we usually do it the last Sunday of the month. You can just let me know. Now, what we do once a quarter around the solstices and equinoxes is we reflect on the three refuges and the five precepts for lay people that come out of the Buddhist tradition. And it's really about, you know, we are a community. I certainly feel it. I'm assuming that a lot of you really feel that this is a community that we feel safe in, that we trust. And then the obvious question is, well, what is it about us that makes this something? And it's, you know, probably we have some shared values. And what are those shared values? And one of the ways we think about it in Buddhism is we, we reflect on the shared value of freedom. And we're specifically talking about the freedom of the heart or the freedom of the mind. And of course, we don't always experience this freedom. A lot of times our mind or heart feels anything but free. You know, we feel attached. We feel conflicted. <clears throat> we feel like we're in the middle of a struggle to survive, to make it to the end. But even if our life is mostly characterized by not feeling free, isn't it true that somehow we intuit that freedom is possible? In, in Buddhism, <clears throat> this freedom usually is marked with the word Buddha. So Buddha may have been a historic person who lived 2,500 years ago. I mean, clearly there was somebody who set these teachings in motion. But the real value of that historic person is um, he was able to articulate something that happened to him in a way that supports our own intuition about freedom. We have a sense that freedom, that real ease is possible, or the release of the mind's tension, the mind's stress is possible for us. Not theoretical, not just for some people, but everybody can experience that freedom. Normally, the Buddha didn't talk too much about freedom in terms of positive words. He mostly referred to this freedom as the mind or the heart that's free of greed, free of aversion, and free of denial or delusion. That that's the freedom. But he also talked about, one, one particular time, talked about it in more positive terms. He says, the cessation of lust, hate, and delusion, so that's what I just said, is the unconditioned, the end, the taintless, the truth, the other shore, the subtle, the very hard to see, the unweakening, the everlasting, the un disintegrating the invisible, the undiversified peace, the deathless, the superior goal, the blessed, safety, exhaustion of craving, the wonderful, the marvelous, non-distress, the naturally non-distressed, nibbana, non-affliction, fading of lust, purity, freedom, independence of reliance, the island, the shelter, the harbor, the refuge, the beyond. 
the beyond or normal habits of struggling with life. So wherever you are, you know, whether you have a lot of confidence or a lot of direct experience with freedom or whatever word you'd use to describe the state of the mind, heart's release, or whether it's your confidence is new and mostly from hearing about other people's experiences. But this is one of our shared values. And, you know, at this quarterly gathering, when we do the Refuges and Precepts, we're calling our own experience to mind, our own confidence. And, you know, one of the things we all know is we know the experience of really being caught in life or struggling or in conflict. So that's why we can intuit freedom. Even if you can't kind of organize that experience, can't bring up the memory of that experience, you, I bet everybody can bring up the experience of being entangled. I mean, just go back to high school. How many moments in high school, maybe there's some high school students here. I think Alex is around somewhere. But we know that experience of being caught in drama. And it doesn't end in high school. <laughs> we just get we just get a little better at keeping it, you know, disguised. You know, we have the cool, seemingly unaffected exterior, but inside we're in knots about this, about that. I mean, how many of us are worried about our jobs? Or how many are about, worried about our relationships or worried about our health? Tied up in knots about what's going to happen to the world or to the economy or to our kids. So, now I'm not saying that everything's hunky-dory, but getting tied in knots isn't, isn't an answer to the very real problems in life. And this is really what we're looking at. This is really what the Buddha, as a concept, as a practice, and as an experience represents for us. And initially, we just need in a sense, a placeholder. You know, we need a word like freedom or Buddha or awakenness or freedom. You know, we need some kind of placeholder to, in a sense, start to gather our own direct experience and hold that so we can remember it. We can kind of draw on that confidence that freedom is possible. The Buddha would say that this taste of freedom is unforgettable. One particular quote. He says, the gift of truth, and you can just substitute the word freedom here. The gift of truth or insight is the highest gift. The taste of insight or truth or freedom is the sweetest taste. And the joy of truth or freedom or insight is the greatest joy. So it's really what the whole path is about, this Buddha, this awakening, this freedom, this release of the heart. And this is a path, you know, the, the path that the Buddha set in motion, talked about, is really a path of deepening understanding. We're using mindfulness or the awakened quality of mind, the clarity of mind, to deepen understanding. So, in a sense, the only problem with life or with our life is misunderstanding or, you know, our understanding isn't fully developed. We're living according to the ideas and concepts that have been passed down from our culture and our parents, who knows where else, magazines, friends, 
And we're replacing it with an understanding that comes from paying very clear, or bringing a clear and open attention to life as it actually is, uh, not under the influence of thought or concept. And that really brings us to the second value, I think, it's fair to say we share. You know, you might not describe it like I'm describing it. So we all value freedom or the release of the heart. And I think we all value clarity, this interest in the truth of the way that it is for us now. Now, I'm, we don't always act on that value. But is there anybody here who somehow thinks that the appropriate way through life is to be in denial or to be distracted all the way through, like somehow that that would be bring a better life or lead to a happier life. And most of us have pretty direct experiences already where <clears throat> there was fear, and so that fear triggered wanting to be in denial, wanting to go to distraction, turn the TV on or whatever. But we didn't, at least in that moment. You know, we, in a sense, we turned toward the issue, the problem, the experience, what we were actually seeing or feeling, and something good came from that. You know, like we were able to resolve, we were able to um, do something that would be better than to, uh, to be avoiding whatever the pain or problem might have been. So we all have this value, I think, of that it's better to turn toward things as they are than to run from things. I always bring to mind this image, not having grown up by the ocean and then spending some time there as an adult and learning to, you know, play in the waves and body surf and things like that. And, uh, you know, you learn your lessons the hard way. Like, I don't think I want to handle this wave. And you turn and run, you know. But then you really, you really are in trouble. Because that's when you get crunched by the wave, you know. If it's too big, the best thing is to just go into it and down. And, uh, you know, and take, take the turbulence for whatever it is. It's a little bit like this in life, too. It's just so much more skillful for us to develop the skill, this develop the value and the skill to turn toward life, toward experience, over and over and over again. And this is the second value that's really, you know, at the heart of Buddhism. Freedom is at the heart of what the Buddha taught, and the basic means to that freedom is cultivating the instinct to turn toward things, to include, to keep including. And in particular, we're including what we're feeling. It's like the information that we need that's kind of keeping us off balance and unskillful in life is we're not honest about what we're feeling, what, what needs, for example, that are arising here. We're embarrassed by them. You know, we think maybe if I'm aware of what I'm feeling, I'll feel weak. I'll feel stupid, I'll feel less than other people. But if it's actually how we're feeling, it's even a greater sign of weakness not to be able to be honest about what we're feeling, what we're seeing, how it is for us. So once we reflect on this a little bit, it really helps to activate this commitment to truth. It just makes so much sense, intuitive sense, that human beings would be deeply connected to truth. 
And once truth starts to slip out of the system, we're in big trouble. Once a person is no longer honest to themselves, problems start to happen. I mean, look what's happening in our culture as we start accepting, you know, more uh, the lack of truth and what people say, whether it's businesses or politicians or even among friends, you know, in our relationships. When we start to justify, mis you know, mistruths or half-truths or blatant lies, you know, it isn't long before the whole relationship or the whole community falls apart. And this is true within ourselves as well. We have to have, we have to cultivate this commitment to truth. And so what does that look like as a practice? Well, if we want to see things as they are, we have to develop this capacity. We, it's not a muscle we've, you know, we've cultivated a lot. So we have to cultivate the ability to feel deeply and to not be afraid or bored by what we're seeing or feeling. We have to see clearly. And what gets in the way of seeing clearly? Well, all of our opinions about things. It's hard for me to really show up right now if I have a strong idea about what's going on right now. Because that idea, in a sense, gets projected. It comes forward. And then all I see is my idea. It doesn't actually matter what's happening. I don't know if any of you caught. There was an article just two days ago or yesterday, maybe. I think it's in the Sunday Times, but it was showing up on Saturday. It was in my sickbed yesterday reading the newspaper. And it was a very interesting article about illusions. Anybody read that in the New York Times? I think it was in the op-ed section. And it was just talking about how magicians have done what they've done for years and how scientists are now beginning to understand the psychology of some of these old magic tricks. And I'm sure you've heard some of these things, but basically <clears throat> our perceptual mechanism is flawed in some ways. I mean, it's understandable why it does what it does, but one of the things it does is it will sort of perseverate on sort of other perceptions we've had and use that sort of past perception to replace what's actually happening. So what we see or experience isn't directly what's happening, but based on some previous experience. And even that previous experience can be somewhat or entirely constructed. Because you know how that is with memories, that we start to, those memories actually have a life of their own. So even our memories, we can't assume were actual facts. It's just the construction the mind has right now about something we imagined happened back then. So we can replace all of this. We can learn how to show up and with clarity, with a mind that's balanced, a mind that doesn't have expectations, so that it's actually able to connect with the experience of the body, connect with emotions, connect with the content in the mind, connect with what's going on around us, what we're seeing, what we're hearing. And the bottom line is this really leads to skill in life. It's, it's no mistake that people who are reflective in life value this kind of truthfulness or this kind of clarity. And then that's what the center represents for us, or this practice. So we have the Buddha representing freedom. We have Dhamma or Dharma is really about this opening to things as they are, this value for truthfulness. 
or inclusivity or connecting. And then the last value that we share, and you know, I'm just grouping it in, uh, grouping our shared values into three categories. And like I said earlier, there are many ways to do this. But you know, in Buddhism, we have this value, this refuge of sangha, often referred to as community. But sangha, more specifically, or the the beautiful, or you could even say the enlightened qualities of mind. So when when there is that sense of freedom, the mind, the knowing is unobstructed and it's seeing things as they are, then the actions and thoughts and words that come out of a moment like that, they're really beautiful. You know, whether you're in a meditation, a formal meditation, or you're hanging out with a good friend, when your mind is really free and you're freely, clearly connecting with what's going on, what you say to that person or how you are with that person is going to be a beautiful thing the odds of you being unskillful go way, way down when you're in that balanced, clear, connecting place. Because we, we intuit like how to be appropriate, how to be skillful. In a sense, this mechanism of body and mind, it's tied in. You know, we often use these words like uh, integrated or interdependent. And, you know, even scientists now are, are finding ways to, uh, are finding um, situations and where they can't really understand how communication is happening, like among different organisms. You know, like that one classic example, like geese flying in formation and how they're able, or starlings. There, there's some neat things on YouTube where there are, I don't know how many, but there are maybe... 100,000 or at least tens of thousands starlings, you know, over some field. And they, how they move all at the same time, change directions. What is that about? So one of the things that happens as we sort of develop the Buddha knowing Dhamma, the sort of free, unobstructed mind, knowing things as they are in a moment. So like a really beautiful moment of balance in the heart and mind, knowing things as they are. Then we become intuitive. You know, you don't need to use the word psychic. It's not like it's even extraordinary. In a way, it's the most ordinary thing. When the mind is in balance, we become more intuitive. We're, we're just tied into how it all is, internally, externally. And so what we think, what we say, what we do is coming out of that deep connection or that integrated sense of how it is. That's why we can be more skillful in terms of what we say and what we think and what we do. And this is what we mean by Sangha. We mean any human being acting in the world in a really beautiful way. And that beautiful acting in the world is coming out of being connected. The Buddha knowing Dhamma, that free, unobstructed mind, knowing things as they are. And all of a sudden, we see in our friend that, you know, they're really, they're doing great. <clears throat> And it's almost like a magnetic thing. We like being around Sangha. We like being around human beings who are really connected, really clear, and coming out of that place. It's like a, you know, a beautiful spring. We just like to drink water from a beautiful spring. We like to be around people. Now, everybody here has these moments of being Sangha, you know, where what you say, what you're doing is really coming from someplace deep, really appropriate and beautiful. 
And sometimes we're not sangha. You know, we're coming from a very tight, narrow, self-centered place. And our actions, our words, our thoughts aren't very trustworthy, aren't very useful. And what we call a saint or an enlightened person is somebody who's coming out of there a lot of the time, you know. So everybody's on the spectrum. Some people are, because of how they've developed their practice, they can touch that place and come live out of that place more often. And then there's the rest of us, you know, and we may be somewhere over here where we have some experiences of that clarity, that connection, and coming out of that place. And for us, it's just a cause for faith or confidence. Okay, there's some training or there's something to develop here. So we're going to do the three refuges in a formal way now, and then the five precepts. And we've been talking about these the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> living in harmony, basically, or this reverence for life. So you can open your chant book. This will take about 10 minutes to go through this. And it's on page 35. And we need five volunteers. When we get to the precepts, we um, have been reading a little commentary from a wonderful Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. So we need five volunteers to read that. Uh, could I have some hands? So would you read number one? Sharon, number two. Casey, number three. Susan, number four. And Ali, number five. Thanks. And we will use the Pali language wherever these teachings of the Buddha went. They tended just as a way of creating community, like way back into the past, up to the present, maybe out to the future. We just used the language that was used around the time of the Buddha. So we'll do this in Pali. If you're brand new to it, you'll pick it up. And then when we do the precepts, we'll do both the English and the Pali. And we use this little gesture. We call it Anjali. Familiar if you were a Catholic like me. And uh, at the beginning, the way most of us do bows here, we just bring our forehead down as a way of honoring our teacher. So the first thing we do is honor our teacher, the Buddha, this person who set these teachings in motion. And then we'll go on from there. So I'll ring the bell first. Now honoring the Buddha. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Dhamma Saranam 
Together now, I take refuge in the Buddha, trusting inherent peace and freedom of a heart free from pain. So we can just reflect on this for a few seconds. And then a second. I take refuge in the Dharma, trusting mindful awareness of the way things are. Now the third, I take refuge in the Sangha, trusting those with wisdom and compassion to show us the way. And now the five precepts, we'll do the Pali, the English, and then we'll listen to who's ever reading the comments. Anati Pada, where Amani Sika Padang Samadhyami. I undertake the training from harming living beings. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I'm committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of all beings. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking, and in my way of life. This is the first of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. Again, we'll just reflect on this for a few seconds. And now the second. Adina dana, where amani sika padang samadhyami. I undertake to refrain to refrain from taking that not here. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I am committed to cultivating loving kindness learning ways to work for the well-being of all beings. I will practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. This is the second of the five mindfulness trainings allowed to study and practice it. And now the third. Kamesu Mitchachara where Amani Sika Padam Samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm through sexual misconduct. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I am committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I am determined not to engage in sexual activities 
To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect couples and families from being harmed by sexual misconduct. This is the third of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice. the last Finish up. Idam me silang magam palanyana sa at 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.